electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla in for Brian Sullivan. Right now on Last Call, an AI shocker. Sam Altman is ousted as CEO of OpenAI. How much will it upend tech's AI arms race? Social media platforms broiling in controversies this week, and things could soon get even worse. The holiday travel crush is on. Are airlines prepared for that onslaught? The final countdown for F1 Las Vegas. Who stands to see the biggest windfall? We'll hear from the CEO of MGM. And speaking of F1, it's bringing together the world's greatest chefs. Jose Andres is one of them, and you won't believe what he's making fans. He'll join us for a special preview. That and much more. Last Call is up right now. We'll get to all that through the hour, but first up on Last Call, the backlash from Elon Musk's behavior on X is intensifying a growing avalanche of advertisers pulling their money off the platform. Our Steve Kovac has details. Evening, Steve. Yeah, here we go again, Carl. Advertisers fleeing X following owner Elon Musk's endorsement of an anti-Semitic thread Wednesday on top of a report showing top brands ads appearing next to posts praising Nazis. IBM yesterday saying it paused advertising on X. And today we're told both Apple, Disney and Lionsgate have all paused their ads as well. That's on top of all the companies that have yet to return to Twitter since Musk took control of the company over a year ago. Some advertisers have returned. Apple, in fact, was one of them at one point. Several months ago, Apple resumed spending on the platform after Musk complained publicly about it. Then he had that meeting at Apple's headquarters with CEO Tim Cook. Unclear what was said, but Apple started spending again. Now, CEO of X, Linda Yaccarino, posting on the site just last hour, reiterating her statement from yesterday that anti-Semitism has no place on the platform. As recently as September, she told our Julia Borston that X is close to break even and will be profitable next year. That's going to be harder now. That's going to be tougher with so many jittery brands. And those brands, frankly, they don't need Twitter. Its ad technology is not as effective as what Meta offers on Instagram and Facebook. And many companies weren't spending a lot on X anyway. It's no big deal for them to pull out. And we already know Musk's stance on this. He told our David Faber in May he's willing to lose money to say what he wants to say. Well, he's done precisely that, Carl. Steve, as we were talking there, Warner Brothers Discovery now confirming that it also has paused uh, ads on X. I just wonder, between Lionsgate, Disney, and now Warner, and to some degree Apple, it's very media-heavy, XIBM. How much of X's advertising base is due as reliant on media. It, 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 that's unclear. We don't really know the breakdown. And plus, we we're, never got true visibility into how many brands have actually pulled out. But we have heard brands coming back. I mean, Linda Yaccarino had bragged earlier about like companies like Visa coming back and so forth. But look, we, we've been talking about this since Musk took over the platform. Brands want a safe environment and they want an effective environment, meaning a return on what they're spending, either getting you to buy something or click on something. And they just can't do that on X as well. So that's why it's so easy for them to pull out. Whereas what you might see on Facebook when these controversies pop up, they all come crawling back. 
We've been through it before. We'll see yeah. how this one resolves, Steve, if it does. Uh, Steve Kovac, thank you. Thanks, Carl. Uh, the backlash not just coming from advertisers on X. The White House lashed out against the Tesla CEO for promoting, quote, anti-Semitic and racist hate. And investor patience is wearing thin for Musk's actions. This is what Tesla investor Ross Gerber had to say on this program last night. None of his actions are for the benefit of Tesla at this moment. What he's really doing is destroying everything he's built. And that's the super frustrating thing as a shareholder. Is Gerber right? Are Elon's actions destroying the brand that he built for himself and his company? Let's take it to our first guest of the evening. With us tonight, Dan Ives, Webbush Securities Managing Director, longtime Tesla bull. Dan, it's great to have you. Thanks for coming here. in on a Friday night. Um, five alarm fire is kind of how you describe it. Yeah, I mean, it's a five-alarm ride. I mean, I'd say he, he's touched the third rail in terms of Musk. And I think the worry here, it's not just about X or Twitter. It's about how that bleeds into the brand of Tesla. And that's really the worry for investors here is that frustration is reaching a boiling point. Um, but we've had this discussion many times. And in the end, the stock, which barely budged today, by the way, in the wake of these headlines, it's more about deliveries and production and margins. When does this sort of enter that mix? Yeah, I think, look, for now, in terms of when you look at Twitter X, look, I think right now the valuation is probably five to ten billion. I mean, this this is a debacle of epic proportions in terms of what's happening. And that's going to continue to, to to to, I think, go downhill. When you look at Tesla, Okay, you could say it's maybe contained right now relative to the brand, but we're getting dangerously close to a red line where if you continue to cross it, the brand destruction is going to be there at a time that this EV arms race goes on. I think Musk is going to have to potentially make some serious questions and consequences. Does he continue to stay as CEO of X? Does this continue to go down the path? Well, on that point, it Musk has been very clear uh, that he doesn't care about the monetary backlash. Of course, this is what he famously had to say to our David Faber earlier in the year. I'll say what I want to say. And if, 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 uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. Given that, how do we how can anyone argue that he really does care about this? Yeah, well, I think it's getting to a point where, OK, two, three billions, one thing, 44 billions, another. And I think right now. You're even seeing some of the damage control from Linden, what we're seeing on X, because it's getting to a point here where if this bleeds into the brand of Tesla, you know, you you look at some of these remarks, you start to get the pushback. It's something where I think from an investor perspective, you're starting to be it's a straw that brought the camel's back. Now, I don't think we're there yet. Our bull thesis on Tesla remains what I view as unchanged. But Musk is Tesla. Tesla is Musk. You cannot separate the two. And I think what he's doing here is clear, as Ross talked about, brand destruction. Do you think he eventually separates himself from X in order to save Tesla? Look, I think he's going to almost have to at one point separate himself from an X, whether it's taking more of a backseat here. You know, eventually what happens from a financing perspective, because the more and more that this bleeds into Tesla, SpaceX, those are the golden child, Tesla, SpaceX. If you look from an X perspective, I mean, the value right now is almost a rounding error relative to Musk in terms of you know, what he is ultimately worth. But we are now getting to what I view as the red zone in terms of where this goes, how Musk handles this over the next week or two. I think it's going to be crucial to more investors you know, not going down the Ross right. path. You're pointing to some, I mean, people are quick, obviously, to uh, start to, uh, 
develop uh, theories on worst case scenarios, they lose the App Store right now with Apple's actions. DOD starts removing security clearances. The White House has already blessed UAW organizing. I mean, how, how much of those should we be considering at this early stage? Look, I think there's some that are definitely extreme in terms of you know, where this could actually go, at least for right now. But you're starting to see the parade begin. And I think that's the worry from D.C. to advertise across the board. And now you ultimately go past the point of no return. And I think that's really the worry here, especially for Tesla investors. The last thing you want is one fire on a tree to cause a forest fire. And I think that's the worry here for the broader Musk franchise. But right now, let's just be clear. I mean, X Twitter, that is not worth Less than I, that is worth five to ten billion max, in my opinion. Um, finally, I wonder: Are you surprised that other rivals of his, either in the social space, Zuckerberg, Threads, Meta, or in the auto space, GM, Ford, Stellantis, haven't tried to leverage the outrage? Maybe they just don't want the fire's too intense. They don't want to get close. I think the fire exactly. The fire's too intense. You don't want to get too close. No, look, Threads. I mean, I view it as almost like going a motor vehicle right now. So that continues to just be. You mean a the activity is suppressed? It is just so bad. Threads, and but that has been a potential opportunity. But look, this is this is a, a key. What I view is 30, 60 days ahead for Musk. You continue to go down this path then the containment, it actually then it goes into Tesla. And that's really the worry for Tesla loyalists like myself. Dan, appreciate it. It's yeah, always good to see you, uh, Dan Ives. Meantime, here's what happened to your money this week. Better than expected inflation data earlier in the week. Triggered gains for all three major indices. Dow up nearly 2%. S&P, NASDAQ both climbing more than two. Biggest winners of the week? Target jumping nearly 20% for the week. They got the earnings beat, plus big climbs for Enphase Energy and Catalan. The drug manufacturer teased more capacity for weight loss drug production in the coming years. Biggest duds, Cisco and Walmart falling, as well as Vertex Pharma, after an executive said its non-opioid pain medication was not being tested against a placebo. Investors fearing the drug won't be seen as effective once the trial is completed. Important programming note for your money. Treasury Secretary Yellen on Squawk Monday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern. She'll talk about U.S.-China relations following the summit this week between Presidents Biden and Xi Jinping, as well as the state of the economy and the interest rate environment. Tune into that interview to kick off the week. Up next, an AI earthquake. OpenAI's Sam Altman forced out as CEO. Which competitors stand to reap the spoils? Plus, let it rip. How can Vegas possibly top this weekend's F1 race? MGM CEO has some big plans, and he'll tell us straight ahead. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... ...trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. 
One Travel. It's time for tomorrow's news tonight. The stories you'll be talking about tomorrow morning. Huge news from OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT. Sam Altman is out as the CEO of the artificial intelligence company. CNBC's Deirdre Bose is here on how the news is rippling through tech and the VC community tonight. Hi, Dean. Hey, Carl, and it is rippling through. We're going to be talking about this tomorrow for weeks, probably months, because it's sending shockwaves across the VC and startup ecosystem, particularly here in San Francisco. In a statement posted this afternoon, OpenAI said Mr. Altman's departure follows a deliberative review process by the board, which concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities. The board no longer has confidence in his ability to continue leading OpenAI. Now, Mira Murati, the company's CTO, she steps into Sam Altman's place effective immediately. This is a sudden and major shakeup for the company, which really kicked off the generative AI arms race with ChatGPT and quickly became one of the most valuable startups in the world. Sam Altman was the face of OpenAI and the space at large visiting Capitol Hill a number of times to discuss development and regulation. So now his departure raises a ton of questions for the future of OpenAI, which is reportedly in the midst of deal talks that would value it at $80 billion or more and let some of its employees cash out. Its largest backer is Microsoft, which has poured a total of $13 billion into the startup. CEO Satya Nadella in the last hour posted on X, we have a long-term agreement with OpenAI with full access to everything we need to deliver in our innovation agenda and an exciting product roadmap and remain committed to our partnership and to Mira and the team. So Microsoft's saying here they have everything they need regardless of what happens. Sam Altman himself posted, quote, I love my time at OpenAI. It was transformative for me personally and hopefully made the world a little and hopefully the world a little bit. Most of all, I loved working with such talented people. He ends by saying that he'll have more to say about what is next later on. Now, this massive development, Carl, has broad implications beyond open AI. The other darling of the space, Anthropic, it has been raising billions of dollars from other tech giants, including Google and Microsoft, who are Google and Amazon, excuse me, who are Microsoft rivals. And these two companies have essentially been competing for the same pool of talent and funding. I've also been reaching out to my network in San Francisco and tech over the last few hours and hearing a mixture of surprise, I told you so, and support. Altman, for all of his fame outside of Silicon Valley over the last year, does have his detractors. The most vocal so far have been his supporters among them, posting on X, Eric Schmidt and Brian Chesky. Carl. Uh, D, grab that Greg uh, Brockman now with his own statement saying he quits OpenAI. The fact that the Sam Altman news broke before the market closed, the reporting from Axios tonight that even Microsoft was blindsided. No one seems to have an edge on whether this is about the integrity of the product. So or many about, layers. Uh, why, why, the Y Combinator. Uh, so many theories tonight. There's a lot floating around. It's all speculation right now, but everyone you know, I'm talking to is eager for more information, which will inevitably trickle out. Deirdre Bosa, thanks. For more on Altman's departure and what it means to the AI arms race, let's bring in Deepwater Asset Management Managing Partner Gene Munster, who joins us on the phone. Gene, appreciate the time. Uh, it sounds like you were as shocked as anyone. Uh, definitely, Carl. I was shocked. And then as I stepped back and thought about it, uh, maybe we should have uh, kind of seen this coming. And as Debra said in the segment, uh, her comments before and what you said, lots of speculation here. But just taking a, a big picture step back is that uh, Sam Altman has he, the golden hand when it comes to 
uh, running companies right now in tech and separately is that there was rumors a few weeks ago of him something with Johnny Ive, whether that has any uh, factor in here, but they, the concept that he was kind of shopping around and looking around, and then you have this fundraising, this next round that they're going to raise. So they're going to price around. Uh, they can't go and price an $80 billion-plus round that's up $20, $30 billion from the previous round and then all of a sudden announce that Sam Altman's going in a different direction. So my guess is that's the, the mechanism that forced this. And, again, it's all speculation. What's safe to say is that this is, uh, any way you cut it, it's egg on the face of Microsoft. Is uh, Sam Altman's been kind of the fun guy at the party that's really reinvigorated Microsoft from a, a pretty stale brand in the eyes of tech investors to the most exciting company. And now that he's exiting uh, stage left, I think that there's, there's definitely a, 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 a gap to be filled. Right. If it, in fact, is a, a liability for Microsoft, Gene, uh, is it an opening for Google and Bard? You know, I, I think that this is uh, this particular event, it, it could be. This is a talent race. It's uh, curious to see how it plays out. Um, Mira Marathi, who's stepping in, I've I met her uh, a few years ago when she was at Leap Motion, which was a, a startup. It didn't work out, but she is a rock star. And so I think it really comes down to keeping talent together. And this is, I can just imagine that there's going to be some movement around talent related to this because Sam Altman was uh, just such a charismatic figure at the company. What do you think it does to the trajectory of the overall innovation, right, of, of artificial intelligence? And by extension, do you think it raises further suspicions among regulators who might already be skeptical? Well, again, we're filling in some making some pretty uh, big guesses about why he's leaving here. Uh, I would say that uh, ultimately is that he's, I'm going to take the path that he has something else that he's working on. And in that case, it's going to be something AI related. So I think as an industry perspective, he's at the most exciting company and he uh, presumably is going to be doing something that's more exciting. So I think that that's just going to kind of continue to fuel some of the excitement around that. And in terms of regulation, uh, you know, I think that the industry is still at the at the forefront of regulation. I mean, there's going to be a lot more of that coming when it comes to AI. And so maybe what he's doing has something to do with uh, regulating the AI and coming out with a different type of uh, a model that, that plays into that. Hard to say. But I think that uh, what is clear is that the tech industry is reeling after this. And um, everybody's that's what I'm going to be spending the weekend doing <laughs> is trying to figure out where he's going. Yeah. Um, at this moment, how would you characterize Altman's legacy, which we're betting is not done by a long shot. Um, but, but what do you think uh, history is going to say if we even were to stop now about what he's brought to technology in the future? Well, uh, we're, well I'm going to take the road that there wasn't anything that was negative that, that causes it. If, if you take it from here, is that he's kind of the father of AI, I think, in a lot of people's minds. And this is a much bigger transition than the Internet. And so I, I, I wouldn't put Al Gore as the father of the Internet, but uh, I think that there's some um, uh, he's as, and, you know, a top 10 tech um, icon at this point. And so as far as his legacy, I think it's still going to be based in AI. But if it was if this was kind of the end of the road, I think he would uh, uh, he would just go down as is the person who really brought AI to the masses. Uh, and uh, and it's almost poetic, uh, Gene, that we're in a week where we just got Microsoft's Ignite conference and literally Amazing. dozens and dozens of new product announcements. And the expectation on the street 
of getting hundreds of more announcements in the quarters to come and a better picture of how those use cases are going to get monetized. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is, again, not the right time for this to happen for Microsoft. And, you know, uh, Satya is saying that everything is on track, and but, uh, you know, there's going to be some slippage there. But, yeah, and put that on top of the OpenAI Dev Day, it was just about two weeks ago, uh, really remarkable, and it's definitely going to have a jarring effect on AI. Does this further headline about Greg Brockman uh, add anything to the mix in your view? Um, I I don't know. I you know I uh, presume there is some goodwill there, and 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 uh, you know maybe he was had some information uh, that both him and Sam had that they weren't sharing. So uh, I. Uh, I, I don't much uh, to read into it uh, beyond that it's uh, it's really secondary to what Sam's doing. Yeah, uh, obviously it's difficult to have the conversation with the limited knowledge that we have, uh, but the headlines keep coming tonight, uh, at least East Coast time, Gene, and we'll continue to get view- keep viewers updated. Our thanks to you, uh, Gene Munster. Thank you. When we come back, Contessa Brewer goes to Vegas, and this time she means business, and that's where she's standing by, Contessa. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Carl. Tonight, fans will get another chance to see a practice session before the big race, even before the checkered flag comes down, though. Las Vegas is tackling what's going right, what's going wrong. Coming up on Last Call, my exclusive conversation with MGM CEO Bill Hornbuckle about what he'll do differently next year. Stay with us. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. If you missed CNBC's Inside Track, the business of Formula One last night, don't worry. An encore presentation of Sarah Eisen's documentary on the explosion of the sport is coming right after this show tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Speaking of Formula One, Las Vegas set to hit the jackpot from this weekend's race. According to the principal analyst at Applied Analysis, the race will pump an estimated $1.3 billion into the local economy. That's more than double what the upcoming Super Bowl in Vegas is expected to bring to the area. The big winners from the return of F1 in Sin City, resorts and casinos. Of course, our Contessa Brewer is live in Las Vegas. And Contessa, you've been able to talk to a bunch of CEOs this week that are riding the wave of F1. Yeah, that's true. I mean, really, this is a tale, though, Carl, of one city, two tales, one city. At the luxury end, it's the best of times, but the worst of times for the workers and for the businesses who cater to a different crowd. Now, I met up with MGM CEO Bill Hornbuckle for an exclusive conversation right here at the Fountain Club and asked him whether the reality of F1 weekend is meeting his own very high expectations. We thought this would be a world-class event at only a stage Las Vegas can produce. I think we've done that. I think you know, when everyone sees this thing unfold over the next three or four days, it's going to be the talk not only of this town, but of you know, the universe in the context of sporting event meets Las Vegas, meets something spectacular. So I feel really good about it. 
Why is it important for the overall trajectory of Las Vegas to have F1? You know, you go back to 2016, 2017, and we think about the evolution of sports in Las Vegas and all that it's done for this community in this town. You think about what happened to T-Mobile, the Golden Knights. You think about Elysian and the Raiders. You think about the other activity case all of those venues have brought. Um, we're at a different place. Fundamentally, things have changed. This is one more example of that. And obviously, we followed up in two and a half months with the Super Bowl. And so to the extent this town can continue to demonstrate it can do things at that scale and at that level, I think we succeed and succeed very well. The interesting thing about your F1 fan is that they have more money, they have more education, they're better traveled than fans for most other sports. What kind of an opportunity does that bring to MGM and to the casino industry generally for Las Vegas? Look, look significant. We're standing on top of the Fountain Club here. Um, we built this thing for the Uber experience. Tickets for the seats below us are 10000 apiece. Um, so we've been able to package that with guest rooms. The average rate this weekend at Bellagio behind us is $2,200. And so that's not you know, for everyone, candidly. But it does give us a chance between here, Aria, Cosmopolitan of Note, kind of the epicenter of our Las Vegas hub, to bring a very unique international crowd to see an event that they enjoy all over the world, and now they can see it in Las Vegas. You know how there used to be that slogan, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and, and everybody has tried to move on for that. Is there an also sort of an understood attempt to associate the brand of Las Vegas with luxury? Absolutely. Um, you know, many of the things that we've seen happen since, particularly the pandemic, and the rebound has all been luxury, not all, but principally luxury oriented. The 80% of our, our bottom line now comes from luxury oriented products, services, restaurants, entertainment, events. This obviously being kind of the pinnacle of those events that we've been talking about here. Um, and so the, the world has gone there, Las Vegas is going there, and I think MGM Resorts is going there as well. Uh, we heard your competitor, Caesar CEO Tom Reig, say, he anticipated this to be about a 5% impact to the profit margin for the Las Vegas Strip. November is normally a slow month. Is that forever changed, do you think? Uh, because of this event, obviously the infrastructure has been built here. This is going to be here a while. And so I think it has. I, you know, I would agree generally with Tom's numbers. Obviously, we have a little different scale at the luxury, but our number, our, our, our point of, of inflection is a little higher as well. And so excited by what this brings. It's the second worst weekend of the year traditionally. You know, the weekend before Christmas is pretty slow. Then there was a weekend before Thanksgiving. And so to be able to elevate to this level on literally the site, you couldn't have picked a better weekend for us. Um, I think the weather's going to hold. I think the temperature's going to hold. And so we're, we're, we couldn't be more excited. What did you learn from the lead up this year and what will you do differently next year? Um, came out early high price wise. Um, I'd like to see this event more for everybody. Um, yet there is a place for what we're doing here at, in front of Bellagio. Um, but I'd like to see some of the pricing reflect more of everybody to come and see it. There's 105 or 10,000 stands up and around this three and a half mile track. Um, I'd like to see that reflected so that we can package not only at this level, but put somebody in a room at Luxor or ultimately uh, MGM with a different kind of package. You know, basically too much hoopla over the over the top luxury packages and the high ticket prices and not enough focus on encouraging the kind of mass visitation that boosts business all over Las Vegas. One CEO told me flatly the pricing and the focus on those upper level pricing, Carl, was a mistake.
Still look forward to this week in Contessa. A lot uh, more F1 still to come. That's our Contessa Brewer. Still ahead, another big company just suspended ads from X. We'll get the breaking details on the other side. Plus, it's a no good, very bad week for social media platforms overall. And a storm of controversies may intensify even further. Stay with us. Some breaking news. Another big name joining a tidal wave of companies suspending their ads on X. For more, let's get to CNBC's media reporter, Alex Sherman. Hey, Alex. Hey, Carl. Yeah, uh, I, I can tell you that we've been getting sort of this news fast and furious here. It is sort of a deluge now of companies that are saying they're pausing their advertising spending on X. Uh, I can add Paramount Global and Warner Brothers Discovery to large media and entertainment companies to Disney, Lionsgate, and Apple, who have also already said today uh, that they are suspending. It seems as though every five minutes, uh, we're getting a new company to add to the mix here. So this is definitely an inflection point uh, and something that Linda Yaccarino, um, the CEO of X and Elon Musk, of course, the majority owner of X, are going to have to deal with now. Alex, what's up with the media concentration? And are you surprised we haven't heard similar things from tech or crypto or other elements of advertising? Well, I think, honestly, these things may just come in waves. And so we saw Disney take a stand and then Disney is sort of the de facto leader of this industry. So once Disney goes, then the other companies in that industry sort of need to follow. This is not the first time that Disney has kind of been the leader in terms of statements. Sometimes the companies follow, sometimes they don't. But in this one, we're certainly seeing the other media companies follow in place here, uh, you know, to take a stand against uh, perceived anti-Semitism from Elon Musk. So that's why I think we've seen the concentration in this sector. It's just because these companies tend to move as blocks. So if we start to see some of these tech companies do the same thing, then my I would imagine we'll start to see a different industry wave come forward next. Yeah. We'll see if IBM's a canary on, 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 in that respect, Alex. A busy Friday and now a busy Friday night. Thank you, Alex Sherman. Thanks, Carl. Meantime, major social media platforms are facing an onslaught of criticism this week from a wide range of controversies. TikTok came under fire after an old letter by Osama bin Laden criticizing, criticizing the U.S. went viral. The platform eventually removed the trending hashtag yesterday. Meantime, Meta decided it'll allow ads claiming the 2020 election was rigged on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, the storm around Elon Musk's ex highlighting the platform's problems with hate speech. Will the madness surrounding these platforms give new momentum to regulating the industry? Let's take it to our panel with us tonight. Former U.S. Senator, University of Chicago Institute of Politics Director Heidi Heitkamp and Yale University lecturer Joanne Lippmann. Both are CNBC contributors. It is great to see you ladies tonight. Thanks for the time. Joanne, you say engulfed in chaos and largely because of their own making. Absolutely. The platforms are all engulfed in chaos and it is largely of their own making. I actually think it goes back to the beginning. If we can just, you know, go back at the 10,000 foot level and go back to the business model of all of the platforms, they're the same business model. It's based on virality. We've known from the research, we've known for almost a decade that when you look at what goes viral, the emotion that goes viral is anger and outrage. And we know that what travels fastest is False news, false information travels six times faster than true news. We've known this for a decade, um, and now we're seeing it sort of supercharged um, as as we see, you know, what's going on uh, with the with the platforms now. 
And it could lead, I do believe, it could lead to, to increased calls for legislation. You think so. Senator, what do you think? Well, I think there's going to be increased calls. The question is whether it's actually going to happen. I think, you know, there's still that mindset that the Communication Decency Act was essential for the growth of the industry. No one has, I mean, I, let me tell you, as somebody who tried to touch Section <laughs> 230, it's it's a pretty tough deal. And let me, I think that, there, that what, what the concern is now is we're going into the 2024 election. And if we can't rely on these platforms for honesty, for real information, that's going to be a huge problem in our body politic. And so we're going to have to have some high level discussions about how we contain the misinformation on these social media platforms. I do wonder, though, Senator, it seems like this has been a series of rolling controversies. We had Cambridge Analytica and Facebook long ago. Then we had a move on TikTok. And now there's attention to Musk tonight. When you get a sort of uh, a mixture that's happening all at once, like, like we just described, does that make regulation any more urgent? I mean, we can barely get a CR passed. Well, I think about this, um, uh, you know, the United States uh, Congress has trying to deal with AI, trying to deal with, you know, generation of information that could move absolutely viral information that's completely incorrect. And they're pretty much stalled out. And there's there is a lot of challenges, not the least of which is First Amendment. If you restrict the access to these platforms and the access to information on these platforms. What we really need, Carl, is we need a more resilient population that doesn't believe everything they see on a, on a Twitter or TikTok. That sounds like it's going to get more difficult, Joanne, uh, once you start folding in deep fakes and AI. Oh, absolutely. A generative AI is going to supercharge misinformation and the spread of misinformation. You know, what's interesting, though, Carl, is that every one of these platforms already has rules in place. They already ban in some form or another, and this includes X and it includes TikTok. They all, in some form or other, prohibit terrorism, hate speech, calls for violence. Um, and obviously, the, it's not working, right? The policies are not working. And I think it raises real questions about whether it's intentional that they could do more, that they are choosing not to do more, or is it a question that it has just gotten out of control and that they are no longer able to control what's on their own platforms? Uh, indeed. Uh, oh, sorry, Senator, go on one last comment. I was going to add I was going to add to that that there is all this, I think, uh, incorrect information that somehow it is conservative speech that is being censored. That's not true. And I think we need to take the politics out of how we look at this. We need to look at disinformation. We need to have real meaningful reform. And I think the best thing is the market that you're seeing react right now, saying we're not going to do business with you if you spread lies and, and anti-Semitic information. And so let's see if that happens has an impact on any of these platforms. Uh, and not just the market, but traffic is also down uh, yeah. when you look at X. It was down almost 20% year over year. Yeah, we'll see if the market, that affects market. does get a vote on this. Uh, Heidi yeah. Heidkamp, Joanne Lippmann. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Still to come, the holiday travel frenzy begins. Will the airlines avoid last year's chaos? Sarah Nelson, head of the Flight Attendants Union, is here with some answers. Plus, what happens when the world's top chefs Come to Vegas for an F1 race. Jose Andres joins us on some of the blowout meals you have got to see to believe. Don't go away.
Welcome back. With Thanksgiving holiday travel ramping up, a record number of Americans are expected to take to the skies this weekend and next week. More than 4.6 million people set to fly away for the holiday, according to AAA. Believe it or not, that is higher than pre-pandemic levels. And with increased demand comes a heftier price tag. AAA also noting the average price of a domestic airline ticket this Thanksgiving will set you back about $680. That's a 5% jump just from last year. So what should flyers expect this year at the airports? Joining us tonight, Sarah Nelson, president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA. Sarah, it's great to see you again. Thanks for the time. Great to see you, Carl. Uh, I guess the first question is, do you think the carriers are prepared for the crowds? Because we've had back office IT issues. We've had staffing issues. We always have weather. How do you think things shape up this year? Yeah, so I want to congratulate the TSA administrator for staffing, staffing up at TSA and making sure that they could be paid more so they could attract TSA workers. But that's still a lot of people to process through those security lines. So we encourage people to get to the airport early. And as far as the airlines go, we've been really pushing on them to make sure that they're putting the infrastructure in place at the airlines to be able to respond when something goes wrong. Um, so there is more staffing there in the background and a little bit more attention on the scheduling provisions, but we're still also flight attendants in the middle of contract negotiations right now and negotiating around some of these issues that affect both crew and passengers, making sure that we can get to proper rest so that we can get to our next flight and help the passengers get on their way. So we're not all the way there to fixing these issues yet, but I think that we're in a much better position than we were last year. Uh, to that point, aren't we at an interesting juncture regarding the Union and American tonight? Yes, American and uh, United Alaska, not very far behind them, but American Airlines, 99.5% uh, strike vote with the flight attendants just out picketing with them yesterday uh, worldwide. And uh, United and American out there with them, too, uh, telling these airlines that they're going to have to compete to the highest standards, just like the auto workers did recently with the big three. Uh, it's time for flight attendants to get paid. American Airlines flight attendants have not seen a raise since 2019. And uh, in, under the Railway Labor Act, these contract negotiations can go on forever, but there's only so much that we can take. So uh, we're calling the question now and we're going to make these carriers pay. It's been interesting to watch the back and forth between really United to a large degree and the FAA about air traffic control and the ability to keep planes, keep pushing tin. How does that, where does that stand right now, would you say? Well, look, uh, what people really need to understand is that the understaffing of air traffic control is the result of more than two decades of extensions of bills, uh, CRs instead of full funding bills, uh, government shutdowns, uh, so that staffing could not be maintained, so that you can't attract people to this job. Because why would you come into a volatile position where you know you're going to have to work a highly stressful job and you may actually be required to come to work without getting a paycheck if there's a government shutdown? And every three months, there's an extension on, on the funding. No plan for the long term to rebuild infrastructure, to do the hiring, the training that's needed. So they're severely understaffed. And what that leads to is a cut in capacity because what the FAA is not going to do is to run an unsafe system. So they'll tell the airlines to cut back on capacity. That will raise ticket prices. And it also makes it much more difficult for the operation and for people to be able to recover. That's what we're talking about here. It's not really the current DOT or FAA. FAA's fault, uh, and, uh, but it is, it is a responsibility of Congress to get this bill passed, and they're doing the same thing again, which is not good because we're already stretched too thin. Yeah, uh, it is a very complex business in part because of the safety importance that you point out. Sarah, thank you. Good to see you again.
a Sarah Nelson Great to tonight. see you, Carl. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. Got some more breaking news on the onslaught of companies suspending ads on X. Once again, we turn to Alex Sherman. Alex? Yeah, you can see I changed my shirt. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't even expecting to come back on. Uh, although, really, I should have been because our, I can report now that our own parent company, Comcast NBC Universal, has also paused uh, its advertising spend on X. Again, adding to the other uh, media and entertainment, generally speaking, companies that have come out in the past hour or so saying they are pausing advertising spending. That includes Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Paramount Global. And now Comcast, NBC Universal, you can add to the list. Alex, thanks for that. We'll watch to see how much uh, this does snowball. Alex Sherman tonight. Still to come, there are first-class meals, and then there are F1 meals. The world's best chefs have come to Vegas. One of them, Jose Andres, will join us next. Bring your appetite. In just a few moments, you can catch an encore presentation of the new CNBC documentary, Inside Track, The Business of Formula One. Sarah Eisen takes a detailed look at what it takes to run, manage, and feed a rapidly growing global sport. Here's a preview. We're preparing 3,000 lobsters for tomorrow, 50 tons of fresh produce, four tons of filet of beef. Marius Dogodon is the second generation in a family company called Doe & Co., it's been catering for F1 for more than 30 years. This is for one of the teams, obviously, which is for Mercedes in this case, where we prep the sugar-free cheesecake. Maybe Lewis Hamilton really likes cheesecake. He, he does like his he sweets. Does? He eats vegan. It travels the world with the league and models its own operations like a racing team. For a deep dive into the surging world of Grand Prix racing, tune in to Inside Track, the business of Formula One coming up at 8 p.m. in just a few minutes right here on CNBC. Speaking of Formula One, one place taking center stage at this weekend's race in Vegas is the Bellagio Fountain Club, the private club which has prime views of the Formula One track and the Bellagio Fountain has an all-star lineup of celebrity chefs creating unique menus as part of a luxury experience. And the all-inclusive tickets are not cheap. For the entire weekend, including food, beverages, race tickets, the package costs more than 10 grand per person. My next guest is one of those chefs. Chef Jose Andres is the founder of Jose Andres Group, owns restaurants around the world, including a few in Vegas, and joins us tonight. Jose, it's great to have you. My first thought was, Jose gets pitched a million things a day. What made you want to take part in this one? Well, listen, I mean, Formula One in Las Vegas, and I have restaurants right here with the MGM family in Las Vegas. I mean, it's not gonna take me a second to say yes to this amazing opportunity, obviously to showcase what my restaurants do and their food alongside some of the best chefs in the world, who many of them are friends, and obviously having a great time. Listen, I'm a Spaniard, it's two Spaniards uh, on the Alpine time, uh, Fernando Alonso <laughs> and obviously Carlos Sainz with Ferrari. Uh, I know them well. Uh, for me, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be celebrating alongside my chef's friends, my, my Formula One racing friends, and obviously showcasing the cooking that my restaurants do right here in the heart of Las Vegas. Yeah. Speaking of Vegas, I mean, what a run they have had. We've talked about F1 all week. We got Super Bowl. We've got uh, uh, the we got the Sphere. We got the Raiders. I just wonder, what do you think is working that they've managed to put all this growth together? 
Listen, without a doubt, uh, we are right here in this amazing Bellagio fountain uh, in the heart of what is Las Vegas. But if you tell me one place in America, one place in the world that is very exciting, that anybody that wants to have an amazing time, uh, this is Las Vegas. Obviously, Las Vegas is showing that it's so much more than casinos. It's entertainment. I love to bring here my family. We can do so many things. Obviously, you mentioned the Super Bowl. Right here, right now, Formula One, that is used the opening for the Super Bowl, is about to come. Yes, Las Vegas is here. COVID is so behind, I shouldn't even be mentioning it. <laughs> things are moving slowly but surely better. Tonight, today, this entire weekend is going to be a huge celebration that, yes, Las Vegas is the most exciting place in America and around the world to have a good time. Yeah, I can tell from the choppers above you, uh, it's going to be quite a weekend. I am curious, um, you know, Vegas has always been the place where Americans could go and get a pretty cheap getaway. Do you think it's getting too premium? We mentioned the cost of this package, and obviously this is a luxury product. But do you think overall the city's getting too expensive? Well, listen, I think that uh, Las Vegas uh, offers a diversity for every single pocket in America. That's why Las Vegas has been uh, the successful story it is. Obviously, what you are mentioning is one of the very high price tickets. But I guarantee you, is many people coming from around America and around the world that even if they don't come with the pockets full, they're going to be able to have a good dining uh, time, a hotel that is affordable. Uh, but at the, at the end, what you're telling me is that food prices are becoming very expensive in America and around the world. But this is a problem for another time. <laughs> right now, we are celebrating that Formula One is happening this weekend in Las Vegas, and we have hundreds of thousands of fans coming from around the world to enjoy this very exciting weekend. I got 20 seconds left, Chef. Um, what's on the menu? Well, let me tell you, uh, <laughs> my menu for what is going to be this special experience is Iberico ham, the best pork ham in the world with caviar. Now you understand why the, the price ticket is expensive. I'm making these amazing raw scallops that are going to be crazy. And I'm making this cheesecake Chef. with white truffles. Chef, that, believe thanks. me, if you like savory, it's great. And if you like sweet, it's great. Jose too. Andres. Brian's in the chair Monday. Have a good weekend. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel.